Give me mozzarella sticks or chicken fingers yeah, right. over over uh, right. candy any day. <laughs> right, I was more of a burger guy. Yeah, <laughs> give me a burger. Yeah. Welcome to the episode. Before we begin, remember that you can ask us a question and we will answer it on the podcast at the end of the episode. You can ask us by emailing us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, please like, share, subscribe, leave us a review, do all the things. Today, we are discussing the 31st Sunday of Ordinary Time, Year A. The prophet Malachi rebukes the infidelity of the priests. St. Paul says that all Christians should be self-sacrificial, and Christ denounces the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and scribes. But first, the sacred and the profane. So this, this week, we celebrated... The solemnity of all souls, or all saints, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. and then the day after. The commemoration the, of all the faithfully departed. Right. Yep. Yeah, so it's the the Trudeauum, the the hollow tide um, yep. of the Eve, Halloween, as most people know it as, or, or, or all hollows Eve. Yep. Then all saints, all souls. I, uh, you didn't go trick-or-treating, did you? Growing up? Well, now. This year, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I actually only went trick or treating once, and it was in college. Really? Yeah. I oh, think... so growing up, you didn't, you didn't. Oh no. Okay, interesting. No, no. We uh, we used to go pretty regularly, like yeah, almost every year. Uh, but I never really looked forward to. It wasn't like you know, some some people like freak out over Halloween. Um, I wasn't like that. Um, you know, I used to, what what did I dress up as? Um. I remember I put like a cool hat on and I just had like a toy gun. I have no idea what it was yeah. and, and things like that. Um, growing up homeschooled too, we also did a lot of uh, like dress up as saints parties. Yeah. Um, and so you know, that was that was a thing. Yeah, but, I didn't I didn't really dress up at all. And I didn't, um, even as a kid, I don't remember really loving candy. Yeah. Of course I enjoyed it. I mean, because it's like doesn't enjoy his sugar <laughs> yeah but i i was right never... give me my give me mozzarella sticks or chicken fingers yeah, right. over over uh, right. candy any day <laughs> right i was more of a burger guy yeah <laughs> give me a burger yeah um but this year i noticed uh nobody uh rang the doorbell at, at the rectory or um mm. yeah so i i wonder if um if they just know like oh the priests live there and we're not gonna bother them <laughs> or or if um people are not uh just how like trick or treating, uh, as much as they used to. Yeah, yeah. I feel like trick or treating has been on the decline. It, it seems like it. Is that it, a COVID thing? Maybe like. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um. Now, well, there's always a scare, right, around yeah. around Halloween that that there's drugs. Right, right. Your, your, your candy apple has like a razor in it or something. Yeah, like that. right. Yeah. And, <laughs> I don't know, I, and I feel like that's probably only getting worse, maybe, <laughs> or, right. or that fear. I don't know the truth of it, but yeah. the fear of it. But yeah, no, it seems like trick or treating's declining. But. Yeah, I remember like growing up, uh, the neighborhood would just be full of people. Yeah, you know, like every, yeah. everyone's out and about. Now it's just if you want candy, just Amazon it. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was a looking back on it. Halloween was a rare. I guess prior prior to COVID, it was a rare moment in like. The American suburbs, right? Because yeah. no one really goes out. Yeah, you know, at least in the, kind of like the millennial and 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 on generation, no one really, you know, you don't talk to your neighbors, <clears throat> you don't go to their door and ask them for things. You know, you just yeah. there's there's very it's very isolated, very individualistic. And then here's this one tradition that comes about where you go door to door talking to people you you never talk to and you yeah. ask them for candy. Yeah. So it was a, a rare moment or a weird moment in American suburbs where people actually got connected. Right. People actually talked to each other. Yeah. But now it was, it's different times. Different times. Yeah. Different. Yeah. Different times. But, you know, All Saints Day, I, you know, it's a time you get to celebrate the saints that maybe aren't celebrated on the calendar or were celebrated on the calendar, but maybe their day was trumped by Sunday. So yeah. St. Therese and St. Teresa of Avila this year. Both right. on a Sunday yep. to get to celebrate them. Um, I I always found it. Uh, it's almost a uh, a somber ho- or feast day as well. It's it's kind of reminds me. It was a little bit the hollow tide of the same feeling as Ash Wednesday. 
because you know it's it's in November. Usually the weather's getting colder. Yeah. It's getting darker, and you have this shift towards even though the saints are in heaven, and that's a good thing. It's it's a, a celebration of glory, but there still is this tinge of of death. Oh yeah, you know, like because yep. the next day is death. But they also the saints are saints because partly they died, mm-hmm. and so there is this reminder that they are in heaven, but there's something that has to happen in order to get there. Yeah, right. And, you know, there is a sense of, even in, like you said, the celebration of those who have gone before us and have won the crown. You know, like, the, it, it's a good ending that they came to. Uh, it, it is a recognition of death. Yeah. And that's why All Hallows, All Hallows Eve, Halloween, is marked by, you know, skeletons and ghosts. You know, like, there's a sense of death, even though... Um, it's a celebration. It is a solemnity. You know, it's a feast day. It's proper to um, feast. Uh, you know, the, the the color is white. And so it's not purple, right? It's not a day of mm-hmm. sorrow. Um, but I think that just speaks to the resurrection, right? Like this is the hope that we have is that now death is not something um, that brings us sadness. It's a good thing, right? Yeah. It is a good thing. Um, although in, in conjunction with um, the commemoration of, Faithfully departed All Souls Day, the next day, right after All Saints, um, you know it, it's it is more somber, right? Like that we still remember it's the church suffering that we celebrate, uh, and so I think those two feast days back to back, it's just a good reminder that the church is much more than what meets the eye, right? Like there's, yeah. uh, it's uh, most members of the church are invisible, <laughs> yes, uh, and so you know as we work towards we work out our salvation. Uh, and we're we're trying to get to heaven. Um, we're joined together with this great company that cannot be seen, that are also helping us along the way. So, it, yeah, it's a yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, feast day. the the feast day fits itself nicely into towards the end of the the liturgical season, which again we've been talking about these these last few weeks. The end of the liturgical cycle is apocalyptic, mm-hmm. right? So. You, you, in the readings of the day for this for the solemnity, it has an, an apocalyptic vision, right? The first reading usually comes from Revelation, St. John. He's talking yeah. about this great multitude of people in glory. Um, it, you know, the readings talk about the necessity of climbing the mountain of the Lord, right? And in order to do this, to get to this new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem that is our mother, we're pilgrims along this this mountain. Yeah. But in order to ascend this mountain, as the psalm says, you have to be of pure heart, clean hands, you know, and desire it. So although it is apocalyptic, which seems scary, and our readings have been sort of denouncing bad behaviors or mm-hmm. or saying what not to do, I think this feast is orienting us towards a a holy desire, right? It puts the saints before us as something to strengthen us along our way, but also as good good examples to, yeah. to desire heaven in a positive, not fleeing from hell, but running towards heaven kind right. of thing. I think uh, I'm reminded of Ratzinger. Uh, he wrote in Spirit of the Liturgy how the saints can be understood as smaller constellations around the great sun, which is Christ himself. And those constellations reflect the ultimate glory uh, and splendor of the sun that we cannot perceive directly. Uh, And so if you think about Christ as the perfect ideal, uh, he is, you know, the, he is the pattern of living that we ought to emulate. It, you know, it might, there might be some confusion um, in trying to enact the pattern of Christ's life into yours, like how do exactly, how do I carry my cross? You know, how do I properly love my enemies? You know, what does it mean for to, to die and rise? But the saints give us, I think, a different perspective on how to live that pattern. And so the more we study the saints, we see, oh, like in this, like their lives perfectly mapped onto Christ's life. And there's, I, the one statistic I read, there's 10,000 um, canonized saints. And wow. so there's so many examples of how to enact Christ's pattern into your life. And I think that that's, you know, when you think about it in that archetypal way of Christ being that ideal and everyone, all these saints living 
to the best of their abilities that pattern of living, of Christian living, um, where, like you said, you know, that gives us strength and, and, and an example to to live our own, to forge our own path, right? Yes. To become the unique saint that we're called to be. So. Right, because each each saint represents. Uh, Sometimes you know totality of Christ's life, but a different aspect of Christ's life, and it speaks to every to each individual in a, in a unique way. You know, mm-hmm. some saints speak to other people, you know, in a different in more or less ways, and it inspires you to do the same. You know, yeah. if if you want to attain heaven, you have a good example to follow in yep. in the saints. Um, the other, obviously, All Souls Day, um, which you know has that we have. I think it's. In the Office of Readings, we have a very the, the beautiful reading from St. Ambrose. talks about life not life not ending, but life being transformed. Yeah. Which I, I, re- I really like that. And, yep. you know, there's a, there's a common Protestant critique, right, of the saints is that I don't there's, – there's a popular video going around Instagram where I think a Protestant was asked, why aren't you Catholic? And his answer was, I don't pray to dead people. Which always makes me wonder, what exactly do you think happens after you die? Right. Are they Sadducees? <laughs> well, yeah, right, right. The reading that we skipped in our lectionary is like, do you not believe in the resurrection? Like, what? Yeah. And that seems very unbiblical because it's clear that when you die, you're still living. You know, as St. <laughs> C.S. Lewis said, you know, you've never met a mortal person. All, you know, buildings and cars are mortal. But every person you've you've met or you've met will continue on right yeah forever you know right. or you know into into some some after afterlife yeah and so I, I was thinking about this point about you know I, I don't pray to dead people and it seems to me it's a universal religious impulse or a religious instinct in humans that life does not end in death mm-hmm. you know um, Sarah has some friends that are not Catholic who insist on this point you know, they they believe that their loved ones are alive still in some form and pray for them, and I think that's that's just fitting within our within our human nature. Mircea Eliade uh, talks about how one of the oldest evidences we have of religion or worship or religious behavior is burials. Yeah, right. Burial is the oldest religious behavior, and it's it's like ancient in some ways beyond belief, but it it signified this idea that life goes on, that there is a survival after death. And you see it in, you know, we have ancient burials of people in fetal positions or the graves marked with red, which perhaps maybe symbolizes blood or life or their their bodies are oriented towards the sunrise. Yeah. All these different things. And it's clear that if, if early man believed that death was the end of things, right, or man was nothing other than Flesh and blood. Flesh and yeah. blood. Well, why wouldn't you just discard it? Right. And, right. and sometimes they were buried with very important things. And in, in a time when tools are hard to come by, right. you wouldn't want to lose those. You'd say, no, well, you know, just kind of strip him. We need his clothes. We need his tools and right. throw him in the grave. But you don't see that. You see this idea that not only do they continue living, but they continue living in, in some sort of activity. Mm-hmm. And in some, uh, they... You know, we, we find burials, or we found there was a grave recently that was uncovered in Peru, and the, the, the mummies were tied up. And Eliade talks about this tying up of corpses as perhaps a primitive fear that not only will they, not only do, do corpses live on, but perhaps they might come back. Mm, right. So there's even an idea yeah, of... That was of, the Egyptian sense with the pharaohs, right? Right. Yeah. So we have very primitive ideas that life goes on, but also that perhaps with these bodies being faced towards the sun, that man's life is like the sun. Mm. You know, it rises and it falls, but then it rises again. And so I I think that Catholics take that religious impulse, that natural belief that life goes on, and they baptize it and say, no, that's, you're right. Right. Life does go on. And in fact, your loved ones will come back. Right. But in, in... in a Catholic way. <laughs> yeah. Know? No, no, that's, I think, no, that's, that's a really great point that, you know, God is not the God of the dead, but the living, right? Right. As, as the Old Testament says. And the idea that, especially for a Christian to say, I don't pray for to dead people, it, it sounds very secular, really. Right. Like, don't you believe in the resurrection? 
If you didn't, then you're like as St. Paul said, uh, you know, in, in the office of readings today, your faith is vain. Like, right. that's it. Like, if there's no resurrection, uh, he says, eat and drink for tomorrow you'll die. Right. It's, it's, it's either life or death. It's God or nothing. Right. right. Nihilism, <laughs> faith or nihilism. Uh, and, right. and to say, I don't pray to dead people, it's just like, it's such a, it's a faithless way to look at the faith, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, if you believe you have a soul that will continue on, no one dies. Yeah. And wouldn't you, wouldn't you believe that if, you know, if you died in charity, if, if you died in faith, and you believe in Christ, you believe, you know, in the resurrection of the dead, then wouldn't that existence be even more powerful than your your fleshly existence, right. you're, you're in some ways living on a plane that's beyond the flesh, the beyond the material, which is more powerful in a sense. And so, if and I think you know, uh, some Protestants, I would I would guess most would ask living people to pray for them, right? Hey, you know, can you say pray for me? I have a big job interview tomorrow. If if they can make intercession on your behalf. And why can't those who are now joined with Christ right. not make intercession? Right. Um, well, I mean, you listen to your friends, right? Yeah. That, that's, what I was, that's what I've always thinking of is, is you, you take the advice or you, you take the appeal of your friends mm-hmm. seriously. And those who have died in Christ are friends of God. Yeah. Saints are friends of God. Right. And he listens to his friends. You know, right. it's, in fact, you're... Your friends on earth may not, you know, God may not listen to them. Right, right. Because <laughs> maybe they're not his friend, you know. Um, but in heaven, it's actually you have a greater assurance that they have God's ear in a yeah, way. Yeah, you know? yep. and, and the same thing with, um, you know, uh, saintly images. You know, we, we have uh, icons and we have paintings and art of the saints in the same way that we have pictures of our family members, right? right. Like we, remember, we remember this great community of faith. So, yeah, it just seems, especially as a Christian, it just, you know, celebrating the saints just seems like a, a natural component. You know? Yeah. There's nothing contradictory there. So, yeah. yeah it, I think it's, yeah, just a natural religious impulse. I said that. It, yeah. I think Catholics take in, they baptize it in the fullness of truth and revelation. Say, yeah, you're right. Your, your loved ones do live on. Yeah. But, even, even, um, sec, I think even secular, secularists would acknowledge, um, that you know, respecting the dead is somehow proper, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm thinking of like, um, you know, the scandals that have happened with like institutions being built or not being built, uh, you know, on mass graves and stuff right, like that. Right. Finding mass graves, it's always like a horror. Like, what happened here? Like, they were just like, you know, murdered and then just piled like, you know, in, into a into a ditch, and like, what a great disrespect. It's like, well, if they're already dead, like, why don't we just put everyone in a mass grave, you know, and just cover it up, like, with yeah, dirt, you know, yeah, no, I think um, that's that's true. There's a lot of people that have like these very, very strong secular or atheist beliefs, and yet they're, they're like, hor- like horrified, yeah, yeah, horrified of the mistreatment of the dead. And it's like, yeah. well, I mean, if humans are just, like you said, flesh and blood, yeah, it doesn't they're, matter. They're doesn't they're matter. no different than animals. Yeah, but yet again, from the beginning to this very day, there's still something. Underneath of us, that just says it's it's wrong to treat bodies like that, and yeah. it, and it's also even I think people have to fight against the urge to believe that their loved ones live on. Mm. I think yeah, I, I I think people who believe that believe are fighting against it, like yeah. the natural belief. But right, right. Anyway, we can uh, move on to the readings if if you if you'd like. Yes. Yeah. Um. Okay. So we're talking about the. 31st Sunday again, ordinary time. We're nearing the end of the liturgical cycle. The themes of this week, I would say, are kind of authenticity, humility, and hypocrisy, the the opposite of humility and authenticity, hypocrisy. I think that these readings, uh, this this the readings for this Sunday, kind of flow nicely, actually, for the, the solemnities in, that we've just been talking about, mm. that saints are people who are the opposite of, of hypocrites, right? They're, they're completely off- authentic. You yeah. know, they, they, you know, they are who they say they are yeah. and they believe at what they profess and they put it into practice. Um, but I don't mean, I don't mean this in sort of a, 
you know, Petersonian way where it's like, you know, you, you act at, uh, you act as though you believe. I, I would say that rather they're saints are people who are like kind of convinced of the truth and the reality. Yeah. It's not just, well, I act as though God, you know, I, I have these beliefs and I act as though they're true. It's, it's, they, they're, I believe this, I believe this yeah. is true. And, and this is a, re- God is real. I don't act as though he's really, I believe 100% right. that he's a reality. I remember years ago, you, you gave me a great definition of what a saint is. And uh, I, I still think it's very accurate. You said that a saint is someone whose beliefs and their actions run parallel together. Uh, now, you know, you can make the case that that's also um, the case for a vicious man, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, you know, if he, if he believes something evil and then acts accordingly. Uh, but in, in the case of a saint, if their beliefs are true and, and if they uh, adhere to, you know, the promises of the church, and uh, you know, they're, they're Christians in this case, uh, if their lives are parallel with their beliefs, then that's what makes a saint. Right. And right. so uh, when and I think that that's the, the the source for so much frustration in those who are trying to live a Christian life is when their actions are running perpendicular to what they believe. Uh, there's like a tension or a dissonance inside their soul that they say they believe one thing, but then their actions run contrary to that. Which is uh, a hypocrite. Which is a hypocrite. Which is yeah, which yeah. is basically our the theme of our readings. Yeah. Um, so we have our first reading from Malachi, which we haven't gotten recently. <laughs> uh, Malachi is one of the the minor prophets, mm-hmm. the, the the twelve minor prophets. So he's mainly concerned with religious worship. The the book of Malachi is concerned with re- religious worship, and kind of apathy in matters of religious obedience and precepts and things like that. So. It, kind of prior to our reading today, God is talking about how he loves his people and he's committed to them, but that the people aren't responding, mm-hmm. that they don't keep his precepts, that temple sacrifices are not being carried out properly, and the people complain against him. So the book of Malachi begins with, I have loved you, but you say to me, have you not loved, you know, how have you loved us? And he has this great line. It's not in our readings, but I, I really want, I did want to share it. That um, he says, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, when you offer those animals that are lame or sick, present, present these types of gifts to your governor. Will he be pleased with you or show you favor? So I, I feel like this is kind of a good setup for our readings today is if if this wasn't good enough for your boss or something like that, mm. like why would it be good enough for God? Mm, right. Yeah. You know, it's like if, if right. you showed up and gave your boss, you know, spoiled steaks for dinner, yeah. he wouldn't accept it. It's like, so, but, but why do you feel as though you, know, you can kind of you know, maybe show up late to mass and right. leave early? Yeah. Or yeah. the same way as like if, a, if your boss invited you over for dinner, it's like, well, I'll show up late and leave early. Yeah. It's like, well, that would make him upset. It's like, but why do you kind of excuse yourself when it comes to the matters of God? Mm. It's like, yeah. God understands. God understands, you know? But no, no, yeah, that's that's a really good way to look at it. I think maybe there's a sense that because God is invisible, you know, He remains, He can remain very easily, just a concept, mm. and just an, you know this idea that okay, I just got to go to church because that's what I have to do, and you're not really thinking about it, and so you just fulfill your obligation. You know, you you check that item off of your to do list, and you know whether whether or not you are authentic. You're not even thinking about it, right? Uh, and this is you know this is one of the problems that Kierkegaard, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, the philosopher, the Danish philosopher, saw uh, in his own church community uh, that people were just not even thinking about what they were doing and saying when they worshipped. And so this drove Kierkegaard mad, um, and and he wrote you know a lot about the idea of authenticity. Uh, and saying, you know, he even has this controversial opinion that it's better to just be authentic in your sin than being half-hearted uh, in your faith. It kind of like the lukewarm sense, right? Like, because you're neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Uh, and so it, it's kind of shocking when you take into account that so many people worship like this. You know, when, when we stand up as a congregation— and we say, I believe in one God, you know, say the creed. Like, 
do we believe that? And, and is that affecting us? Right. And, and I think, you know, while I don't, you don't want to judge just by appearances, you know, this is, and, and this is in the scriptures too, right? Like the, the, the publican versus the, um, you know, tax collector and, and their worship. Right. Um, you know, there's a sense that God does see the heart, but there's also another sense that our externals do matter. Right. And, and so, well, that's what yeah, God through the prophet Malachi seems to be saying in this first reading is a lot of this is, is your actions, right? Yeah. It's not just, it's not that they don't profess, it's that they don't do, they, yeah. don't, they don't do the actions. Um, so it, these are all almost matters of the external, I, I would argue. Yeah. Well, right. But it's funny because, so just to be clear, this, this reading is, um, uh, is centered on God addressing the priests, yes. right? So, so this is a condemnation in a sense of these priests who have, they, ha- they haven't really internalized the, co- the, the precepts that they're giving to the people. Right, so the, the, the reading begins saying, And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you do not listen, if you do not lay it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you. And so there is a sense where, right, the, the, the actions are not there. They're not uh, acting in the way that they should as priests, but they're also not internalizing those actions either. Right. The, the, the commands of God haven't penetrated to their heart. Yeah, exactly. And and this is why I think they are causing many to falter, is that they are so half-hearted or not even, you know, don't even care about the, their instructions that they're giving to the people, that the people can see, right? That they're, like, if these are our leaders, if these are our priests who are supposed to bring us closer to God, and they're not taking it seriously, how am I supposed to take it seriously? Right, there's there's nothing worse, and we've all had this experience when you know at a half baked homily, <laughs> right? When you're you're listening to listening to a preacher or you're listening to, um, you know, someone get up and, and proclaim the word of God, whether it's a lector, and it's just you're just doing it because you have to, right? It's like it becomes rote. It's like who are you trying to move there? You know, is is this even effective? Um, so. I don't know. As a yeah. priest, I, I take this to heart a lot. So <laughs> as I should have. So. Well, I, I would I would say that the readings this week are primarily directed towards the priesthood, and then sort of everybody else. Yeah. In in an indirect way, but certainly it's it's very explicit in this first reading. Now he's talking about the Levi, the the Levitical priest, but still priest nonetheless. Yeah. But it's it's true. You you kind of know when something is. Uh, superficial, mm-hmm. right? Like they're, they they kind of have the buzzwords and the, the cliches thrown out there that this isn't someone who's really had their heart touched, right? Yeah. Or, or like they, they, the, the love of the Lord has not penetrated into their innermost being mm-hmm. and transformed them into someone who's convicted by, by God, right? This is just something that, that they, they kind of do, yeah. you know, Routinely, like I said, you know, they, they perhaps these Levi priests just routinely go through the worship at the altar as opposed to something that is giving glory to God. Yeah. Or truly giving giving glory to God. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard this said by a lot of priests who I respect that if you love your people, truly love them, not just treat them as something that you, you know, need to do because, you know, that's what your ministry demands. If you love your people... They will follow. They they will follow, and not not follow in the sense that like oh I can get them to do whatever I want, but you know mm-hmm. they will join the flock of the church and embark on the path of sanctity, and that, yeah. that's the whole goal. Um, and so that authenticity for a priest is it's not just a, a nicety; it's absolutely essential. It's so crucial, and yeah, it's just a shame when you know at, I'm just you know this is. Confession here of myself or of my own priesthood, but you know, I, there's been times where, you know, I'm not as attentive as I should be at a mass or something that I'm doing. You know, it's not every single seven a.m. mass I'm like fully awake. It's like this is amazing, right? <laughs> so, 
Um, but that's the challenge for us priests is that like to be intentional and authentic in the prayers that we're saying, right? Um, you know, and again, like like you said too, that this is not just like this is directed at priests, but it's also uh, applicable to a lot of people. That when you pray, you know, if, if you're doing your rosary or reading the scriptures, like how authentic are you being in that in that prayer? Too? Sure, sure, yeah, because so. you know anybody can, um, just as perhaps a priest may celebrate mass in a ro- routine way. You can also go to mass that way, right? You can, yeah, you yeah, can exactly. Totally walk into church and just shut off your brain. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and either think about something else or practically nothing, mm-hmm. and that's it. Right, yeah. it's like you weren't you weren't really attentive to to God at all. Yeah, and that uh, just goes back to the idea of authenticity. So right, you're right. It's uh, something that really has to come this from the the depths of your being. That's what a lot of the the existential philosophers would talk about when yeah. it comes to to authenticity. Is it's it's becoming uh, almost uh, becoming conscious and becoming an, a true individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's how Jung would maybe describe. Um, authenticity is th- through his individuation, right? Like you are not yeah. part of the crowd or you're not mindless, but you're someone who's fully aware and that your participation at mass comes from the depths of your being as wanting to be there, as yeah. being fully present there. Yeah, exactly. And not as I have to be here. Or it's part of what we do on Sundays. Yep. But it's it's from your own free will. Yeah. Yeah, yep. that... Um, yeah, so they're they're really supposed to to be like to, the priests are supposed to follow after Levi here is what God's saying that they they should have been like him practiced the same virtues that for their ministry to be effective they they should have been should have feared God they should have been humble they should have you know kept the commandments but instead they're they're kind of doing the the exact opposite and yeah. they show partiality which is a a big critique of the prophets is partiality. You know, God is someone who is judges. It's not biased. Exactly. Yeah. It's not yeah. biased and shows um, equality to all people, but corrupt judges are people who take into account someone's status. Right, exactly. Take into account who they are, uh, which is not what God does. So, right. It's, so Malachi's, God through Malachi is denouncing that. Um, Want to move on to the psalm? Or are you? Yeah. Having... Yeah. I think the psalm uh, reflects what should be in the hearts of the priests. Yeah, <laughs> uh, agreed. Yeah, you know the the, the first uh, uh, stanza here. Oh Lord, my heart is not proud, nor are my eyes haughty. I busy not myself with great things, nor with things too sublime for me. And so, the, the psalmist here is, in a sense, expressing a humble heart that is striving to stay on the right path. And this is the in, this is the internal disposition I think that um, the priests ought to have, the, the, these priests in, in our first reading. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, I, I was wondering at first, what does this, because the, the first reading of the psalm are intentionally connected. Right? The lectionary mm-hmm. is purposely designed that way. So what is, you know, not having a proud heart, haughty eyes, not going after great things and, what does it mean to be like a child in a, a mother's lap, right? Like, how, what does this have mm. to do with the insincerity of the priesthood or of 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 the priest of Levi? And I think it really it goes to this this humility is that when you're not humble, you're <laughs> you're prideful, and if you're prideful in a sense, you then usurp God's role, like you don't think of God, mm-hmm. right? You you put your place, you put yourself in God's place. And say that you can offer these sacrifices, these subpar sacrifices mm-hmm. to God, because God will understand you. Know, perhaps right. you're presumptuous. Whereas someone who is is humble remembers that that God is God is greater than they are. Yeah. And God and everything that they've received kind of is is a gift, so that they should give that back to God. Right. Right. Yeah, especially with uh, the responsorial um, aspect of the psalm. And you, O Lord, I have found my peace. There's a sense of rest and peace when, like we said before, when your life is running parallel to your beliefs, yeah. right? Um, that's what causes peace. Uh, and whenever you stray off that path and, and those 
those lines um, of your beliefs and your actions, whenever they touch and they cross, that's the cause of so much unrest. Right. And so, yeah, there's a sense of just resting in, resting in the fact that, like, what you're doing, your actions are reflecting and are running parallel to your beliefs. That's the source of happiness, really. So, right. Right. Well, yeah, you don't seem to have this anxiety that almost comes right. from. Yeah wanting to grasp power for yourself, mm-hmm. grasp power and authority. Instead, there's supposed to be this childlike surrender, right? You know, children are kind of uh, symbols of, of powerlessness, right? They're in the hands of someone superior, their yeah. parents, in this case, a mother. But it, 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 that's also a symbol for humility, placing your hands in a superior being. So you're placing, your hand, you're placing yourself in, in God's being. Yeah. And... But by doing that, you you get this piece, right? right? Because I'm not trying to grasp for power. I'm not trying to be the center of my own existence. I'm not trying to make the rules <laughs> yeah. or worship. I'm letting God do that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, relating it to the first reading, the sense that a priest could exhort people to live holy lives, uh, impose disciplines on them, you know, fasting, prayers, but then not putting his own heart, like, set on that law. I can just imagine that being, like, a source of torment. You know, like, you almost have to, like, intentionally detach yourself as a priest to say, all these things, all these prayers, all these things that I'm engaged in that are holy and sacred, I just have to ignore because naturally those things would challenge your life to, you know, to to a higher mode of living, and so, you know, it, it seems like that that way of living for a priest, that hypocritical way of living, cannot last. I think that, you know, I had one uh, morality professor, uh, a priest, who told me that uh, a man cannot live two lives, and eventually he's going to come to despise one and and grasp the other. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, and so. Yeah, that 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 hypocritical path of life, where your your actions and your beliefs are running contrary to each other, it, it's this. It's not only frustrating, but it just won't last. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I think it's Kierkegaard. I believe he says this that um, part of sanctity is is to will one thing and to not have be a person of two wills. Mm-hmm. And when you have these two wills, is what that as you described that priest saying, you become. there's a lack of peace, there's a lack of freedom, and there's anxiety, right? Because you're trying to will two things at once. So if if you have this one will that's centered on God, you gain that peace peace and freedom. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I don't know if... um, You haven't seen Breaking Bad, have you? I haven't. No. No. Um, This is a great example of that, um, where the character, um, Walter White, who becomes Heisenberg, the drug dealer... At first, in the, in the early seasons, he's trying to balance his love for his family um, and care for them with this, um, you know, secret life of being a drug dealer. And throughout the series, he's saying that he does this for his family. Like, you know, he's raising money for his family so that his family can be taken care of. He has cancer, and so he knows he's going to die very soon, and he wants his family to be secure. But as the series progresses his love for his family diminishes and he's he he latches onto this alter ego of his uh, Heisenberg you know the, the drug dealer until at the end he even admits that he never did this for his family it was because he got a thrill out of being a drug dealer and so it's just a good example of how at first it seems like he's trying to balance two lives but as my professor said you know you can a man cannot live two lives you're going to hate one and right love one and despise the other so Sure. Any other thoughts? Uh, No, let's move on to that second reading. So the second reading, I actually think, uh, provides a great bridge between the two. Um, And really, St. Paul is exemplifying what what it means to be, I think, a good priest, but also just a good Christian. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in contrast to the priest of Malachi's Reproving in the the first reading, Paul and his team, you know, kind of missionaries in Thessalonia, are were trying to set up themselves as as examples of humble 
ministers in the Lord, right? So Paul's asserting that the ideal is a self-giving person. The teachers mm-hmm. and apostles of of Christ are supposed to be self-giving. And and that this is in, in imitation of Jesus and it's also part of what we've talked about many times, the uh, the Christ poem, that yeah. Christ empties himself out for others. That's the ideal. Mm-hmm. And Paul in the in the second reading uh, mentions that that he shares that he and the other apostles shared not only the gospel but their very selves. Yeah. So they poured out their their souls for these people in toil and drudgery, uh, working day and night not to be a burden, but to proclaim the gospel to you. So this is going to be in contrast to what we hear in the gospel, but also perhaps in the first reading that instead of being self-absorbed, the Levite priest might have been, you're supposed to turn around and be self-sacrificial. Yeah. And I love how at the end of this reading, you have Paul saying that, you know, the Thessalonians, which he's exhorting, they receive the word of God, not a human word as it, but as it truly is, the word of God. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Paul's authenticity and his commitment to the gospel in actually loving his people is what lent his message credence to then be received as the word of God. And, th- you know, this goes back to what I said earlier about, you know, if, if a priest loves his people truly, um, they will follow him. Yeah, that makes the preaching more powerful, yeah. more off- more authentic. Yeah, exactly. People say this is this is somebody who believes and lives what he is telling me. Yeah, exactly. And there's so much power in that. And so I think that, the Thessalonians, when Paul is praising God, um, that they received it as the word of God, the gospel as the word of God, and not just a, a human invention. Uh, I think Paul's sanctity showed them that this path of the gospel is true, right? Yeah. Uh, and so when, you, when the preacher, when the priest uh, internalizes the gospel message in himself, um, that almost preaches itself. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think scholars point to this particular line as Paul kind of contra sophists mm. or contra uh, pagan myths. Right. And I think elsewhere, Saint Paul talks about you know we did not come to you with cleverly designed devised myths. You know, myths. And, yeah. and in you know kind of clever speech, and I think that's so. I think he's alluding to that is that this is not a human word. This is not a this is not sophistry, and I can prove it to you because I don't just speak the word to you. Mm-hmm. I pour myself out, my yeah. very soul out for you. And that, and you say, okay, well, he, he said this is what Christ does, and then he's doing the things that Christ do, or does so, or did. Um, yeah. So, yeah, maybe maybe there's some truth to this. Right, right, know, exactly. I, I can see them both. I see he preaches self, uh, self-sacrificial love, and then he does it. So Right. And, and that's what causes his listeners to look beyond the human. Right. And then to the Word of God, right? And... and What's the uh, what's that song that will know we are Christians by our love? You know, that's a good... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's favorite, one of my favorites. My favorite song. <laughs> the throwback to growing up in. Oh man, nothing like '90s <laughs> praise music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He um. He also talks about kind of this. He mentions apostles, and so you uh, you might think that he's implying here that apostles have authority. Right? That's not what apostle oh, right. means, yeah. but the apostles have authority. Yeah. But he's saying, even though I have this authority, I'm still pouring myself, pouring myself. out. I'm not, yeah. I'm not imposing it on you. Mm-hmm. I'm not making it a burden to you, but instead I'm treating you as a, as a mother cares for her children. Right. And, you know, mothers are, you know, they're, they're related to the other. They're, they're immediately related to the children that they have, and they literally give of their substance. Yeah themselves to their children. Right. And that's what Paul is trying to say is I'm I'm treating you as that mother that I'm, that I'm trying to you know raise you to be strong but by giving from my substance. Right. Right. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, it's um so like I said you as we'll see this is sort of a the bridge between um contra 
the Pharisees, but also contra the Levi priests. You know, he's sort of giving St. Paul this letter here, he's giving an example. Right, of, he acts like a foil against, yes, against ex- them. Exactly, yeah. and, and again, a, as a great witness to, or to this idea that we've been talking about of authenticity. Yeah. That he, he is to be a servant. He's, he, he sees his ministry as servant to the gospel. Yep. And not authority. Yep. So in the gospel, this is where we get uh, you know, the Christ saying, uh, do as they say, not as they do, right? Yeah, um, a very popular saying. Well, I mean, it's just, yeah, kind of a popular phrase. Yeah, just yeah. Ever. Anyway. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. Yeah. Uh, right, so it immediately begins with um, Christ recognizing the authority that the Pharisees have. Yes. Which is important. Uh, it says, the scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seat on the chair of Moses. Therefore, do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you, but do not follow their example. So immediately we have a great distinction between, yes, they hold authority. What they're saying objectively is true, but they themselves are not living this. And so, you know, that's just just take their message and run, essentially. Right. You know, it, it, I think this is so important nowadays when there's so much confusion and scandal uh, in the church you know, this bishop is saying that, that bishop saying this, look at what this priest did, you know, look at all these cover-ups and, you know, some people are like, is the Pope even the Pope? <laughs> so, right. Um, you know, stick to the gospel message, right? Yeah. St- and recognize that, you know, while while on a human level, our leaders in, in the church can be some horrible people, not all, but, you know, some. They they still provide us with sacraments, right? They they still, right. you know, as our Lord says, like they have cha- taken their seat on the chair of Moses for the Pharisees. These men are ordained, you know, in the line of the apostles, and so uh, just immediately that distinction. Just we have, to, I think it's important to remember. So yeah, no, it's it is interesting because this chapter twenty three of Matthew is kind of this grand finale of this conflict between Christ and the the Jewish leaders. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of now denouncing their hypocrisy and, and their infidelity. It's in, in this particular passage, as as you described, is unmasking the the Pharisees as bad shepherds. Mm-hmm. He does recognize their authority, despite kind of all of that. He's saying that they have authority, uh, even, but. Don't follow their example. So I think, I think what Christ is saying here to build off your point, this is a kind of a hard pill to swallow, but it's that hypocrites can speak the truth, Mm -hmm. and that's that's that can be hard to get your mind around sometimes. And and don't get me wrong, like hypocritical behavior does in fact erode the message, right, or the the veracity or the the powerfulness of of the word, but yeah. you know, if someone, you know, if there's a like famous marriage speaker who goes around the country telling people that fidelity is important, while he himself is unfaithful, he's still correct, right? He's yeah. still correct to say that you should be faithful to your own marriage, yeah, even if he's not, right? Um, you know, and it, again, you see this a lot of times in the church. It's like, well, especially when it, you know around certain ethical teachings in the church, it's like, well. Who's the church to tell us about these these teachings when there's all this corruption? But it's it's the truth of the message, not the the person who delivers yeah. it. That's yeah. and that's oh, that's really hard, you know, because you immediately want to say, well, you don't live it. Yeah, it's like, that, that that doesn't matter. It's it's they're still right to say you should. Right. Um. No, that's no, that's exactly right. And unfortunately, especially if you know, there's you know, a priest or a bishop that you put your trust in and you know you think they're living one way but it turns out they're actually living another it can in a sense break break your world view and, and your your trust in the church at large and i think that that's natural uh, you know i don't want to dismiss it and just say well just listen to the message you know um, sure yeah you know in contrast to the the second reading where Paul's example led people to believe in the gospel message. So too can a life contra the gospel lead people away, right? It's just the, it's the 
opposite side of the coin, right? Right. So there is something to be said about uh, a, the, the person's example and, and their lifestyle in relation to their message. Um, and it does take a lot of detachment uh, and courage to say, to, to, to make those distinctions, right? Um, but yeah, it, you know, I, what you said was exactly right, even though if it is unpopular, unfortunately. <laughs> so <laughs> right. that's, yeah, that's that. Yeah, the um, the main criticism of the gospel is this hypocrisy that we've been talking about, and in in the Greek, it's literally to hypocrisy is literally to underjudge something. Mm. It's it's almost to to excuse in a way someone's or one's behavior, or perhaps even another person's behavior, um, and I think. I think one way we see this is a distinction between perhaps a practicing in pro- a practicing Christian and a professing Christian. This is a, t- a distinction that St. John Henry Newman makes is you know typically people who who we we think of as hypocrites, he said we can we often think of them as as almost purposefully corrupting religion, right? They have this motive Mm-hmm. to use religion against other people. Right. But his take is that it's actually that they hypocrites are people who deceive themselves about what they're doing. Hmm. So in a sense they they underjudge their actions. Interesting. That is sure there are people who use religion for secret ends, but he's like but it's actually that perhaps they start off with good intentions but they just become they kind of forget their calling and what they're supposed to do slowly, and then become inconsistent. Right. They almost give judgment. them. They almost give themselves an excuse to live against the message that they're teaching. Right. And so, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, right. That, that, that makes sense as an underjudging, saying like, "Well, it doesn't really matter," you know, like this action, like right, it, it, right. And he, he, I mean, that's so. John Henry Newman. That's how he interprets Christ's critique of the of the Pharisees. He's not necessarily necessarily saying that that they're they're purposely bad. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're using these motives to pervert, you know, the the Jewish religion. It's like it's actually they're just they're kind of excusing themselves. Interesting. Yeah. And and deceiving themselves in a way that they they you know, they still do all the things, right? Apparently they still go to synagogue and they still right. wear the the clothing and they receive the the title rabbi, basically, yeah. but but they they just don't their lives aren't consistent with what they believe. Right. That's right. that's the issue. And yeah. they're deceived. They're deceived about it, right? Which I, I felt like is um, actually more powerful reading because sometimes you can just say, "Well, they're they're, they're just, evil. They're right. just evil, right? You know? Right? Yeah. It's like it's actually more subtle. Yeah, and that that actually hits closer to home too, because I think we can excuse ourselves and saying like, "Well, I'll, sure. I'll, I'm not like the Pharisees. Like, I'm not like you know intentionally nefarious." Uh, but if if we take John Henry Newman's approach. We excuse ourselves all the time, you know. Like we can right. slide into a hypocritical way of life, uh, and so just to be conscious of that, um, yeah, that's 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 a good read. Yeah, I I like the more of, I said self deception. Being hypocritical is is self deception. So yeah, in a sense, as opposed to like I said, a nefar- a purpose a purposely nefarious action or yeah. something like that. So it's the chief sin of the. The Pharisees, is, it's not like they outright deny God. It's almost going back to uh, what you said about Kierkegaard, whereas you, know, you can be consistent and evil. And it's like, well, at least that's, at least you're con- consistent, right? right? It's right. like you you deny God and we know where you stand. Yeah. We're saying here it's it's almost more dangerous because these are people who profess God but don't practice. Yeah. It's like, at le- well, at least one, you know where you stand. The other one is kind of like I said, this, this double life, this yeah. two wills. Right. And it's a scandal, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, and that's you know the scandal, um, literally meaning um, a stumbling block. And so you know people see, or they have expectations of how their leaders, their their faith leaders, should live. And when those expectations are not met, it causes them to stumble along the way of faith. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. yeah that's the, important. This um. There's also this idea of remembrance, as we always talk about. Forgetting and remembering is 
if you know one way you can kind of protect yourself from hypocrisy is to remember these past feasts that we just celebrated to mm-hmm. remember that one day you will die yeah and you'll be before god so is your life one will or is it two wills is it hypocritical or is it authentic right yeah exactly which you know which one which one is it yep and the feast that we were talking about too especially all souls day you know this idea of purgatory where you know maybe you're stumbling along the way but you know th- through the grace of god you're able to um you know avoid major sin and and you know die in a state of grace the whole point of purgatory is to unbend your desires so that they're pointing up to god so that right. your actions and your um beliefs and, and your will and your you know everything's running parallel together there's a freedom there uh so that you're purified in in your love so yeah um, at the end of the gospel, we have a nice connection to the second reading, and also a not as well known saying, but pretty you know pretty common. The the greatest among you will must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of thoughts I had on on this section here. Um, first of all, this is where uh, some. Protestants. This is the second time we're bringing up Protestants. I don't mean to, you know, bash <laughs> Protestantism, but are you, are uh, you bringing up the call no man father? Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, this is where some criticism uh, might uh, be directed towards Catholics for calling priests father. It's funny um, that we're, you know, the day of this recording, uh, I had um, a student uh, at um, the high school call me uh, Mister Torres, not Father Torres, and I'm like, is that because? Like, you're not Catholic, and maybe you're not calling me father, or, you know, maybe they just get confused with, like, they, talk, they call all their teachers uh, sure. Mr. yes. Yeah. So, you know, I, but I was wondering, I was like, I've ne- I, mean, I didn't spend six years in seminary and, gave, and, 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 and sacrificed a family to be called Mr., you know, it's Father Torres. <laughs> anyway, kind of a coincidence that uh, that happened today while we're recording this. But, um, yeah, so the critique is, oh, you know, Christ says, call no man father. Uh, Catholics call priest father. But I th- that's a very like literalist, almost like a fundamental, uh, a fundamentalist um, reading yeah. of the gospel. Uh, you know, Christ here is not talking literally. He's talking about, uh, you know, be careful who you place, who you recognize as your ultimate authority. Right. Yeah. Um, throughout the scriptures, we have multiple people called father, right? Yeah. Paul calls himself father, right? The, like uh, in, in talking to um, one of his, I can't remember what passage that's in. Um, yeah. 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 Well, uh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember some other times though about, you know, our father, Abraham. Father Abraham is, know, right. That's a classic um, title of, of Abraham. Right. You see it in um, the New Testament a lot. So Even even our, on a natural level, we call our, you know, mothers and fathers, right? right. And so... If you know, if you were taking this literally, then you wouldn't call the you know the, the your your male parent. He would not call them father. Uh, we wouldn't call Abraham our father of faith in faith. Um, so it's I just think paying attention to the scriptures, uh, you know, the literary styles and and the um, rhetoric that our Lord uses. It's kind of clear that he's not calling. He's not saying literally call no one father. So, yeah. Well. Anyway. If you analyze it in the greater context of this particular passage, uh, two things come out. One, what Christ is denouncing is sort of this self-grandizement, right? That mm. they they love the titles. They right. love being called rabbi. They love being called master and all these different things. And so he's saying, don't love that. Don't be attached to the honors that these positions bring. That's one thing. And the other, I think, is to stress that you know, talk about patterns or archetypal break, you know, archetypal uh, participation. It's just you have one father, and all fathers underneath that participate in the one, in the one fatherhood. Mm-hmm. So the degree to which you are called father is that you participate in the one father in heaven. That That's yeah. supposed to be the idea is I call my biological father father <laughs> because in some way he's a representative of my father in right, heaven. Right, exactly. Yeah. And same thing with priests. Priests are supposed to be our, you know, 
our spiritual fathers who participate in the spiritual fatherhood of Christ and right. and such like that. And if we're really emulating the father, you know, as me as a priest, as um, biological fathers, then that title shouldn't be one of pride, but it should be exactly how you know the archetype of the father acts. It should be one out of love and humility, right? Right. Uh, and so, this is where our, you know our Lord says, "The greatest among you must be your servant." And this is not just an empty commandment; it's one that our Lord emulates perfectly, as we said, going back to the second reading and connecting it to the Christ poem. Even uh, you know, you God empties Himself, right? Right. Uh, it's the Father who gives His Son, and the go- it's the Son giving Himself. Right. Uh, and so, this is an important um, lesson here as well. That in the church, the higher up you are in authority, the more of a servant you are. And so authority is never meant to be someone, you know, something that someone takes with pride and then uses it to command their minions, right? That's a very secular understanding of authority. Uh, Christian authority is always servitude. You know, before the podcast, we were talking about, you know, the, the title of the Pope. Uh, one of his titles is the Servant of the Servant of Gods. The, the Servant of the Servants, what is it? The Servant of the Servant of Gods? God, right? The, the Servant of the, of servants, the servants of God. Of God. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was missing, misplacing the plural there, okay? <laughs> um, yes, the Servant of the Servants of God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of the gods. <laughs> servant of the Gods. <laughs> no. Um, no, but the idea is that the Pope is a Servant of Servants, right? right? Um, yeah, he's the kind of a that weird that once you get to the top, your authority is to be given. Yeah, exactly. It's to be shared, or, and you're supposed to be self sacrificial. Self sacrificial. I can hardly say that. Yeah. But the Pope is then, although he's the head, he's the servant of, yeah, of all. Yeah, exactly. You know? This is inversion, right? Right. It's like right. Irony. It was, you know, kind of idea of Christ, right? He's God, but yet he willed to become right. less. You and know, the the day that we celebrate the priesthood on Holy Thursday is also, you know, some. Churches, a lot of parishes still do the washing of the feet, right? right. Yeah. And so, you know, we recognize the priesthood as coming from Christ. It's a great gift, but it's ultimately one of service. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think that's again get what that's what Christ is trying to get at here is don't love the salutations and the titles, mm-hmm. right? Like it's the idea is you know, when somebody calls you Father, you remember you know kind of oh yeah like I am I am and. I'm so you know I'm I'm so elevated above right. kind of the the hoi polloi, but but that when someone calls you father, you remember on one hand that you participate in this heavenly reality, but on the other, it's a reminder to be a servant. Yeah, exactly. And it's a reminder that you're actually supposed to give yourself away and continually mm-hmm. give yourself away. Yeah, exactly. Then then hold on to the the love of honors, right? That it, that the title brings. Yeah, and you know. One reflection I heard about the priesthood and giving himself away is that, you know, the most important thing a priest does is the mass. He offers up the sacrifice of the mass on behalf of all the people. Uh, It's that perfect sacrifice of praise at the most important part of the mass when he bends over, he's holding the host, and he says, this is my body, right? This is my body. That should be a reflection of his own love for his people so that when he says, this is my body, consecrating the bread into the body of Christ, he's living that reality as well. I think when a priest strays from living that reality and, you know, he takes his body uh, the sim- symbolically for himself, right, when, when his priesthood is now directed for himself and what he can get out of it, then that there, there, there's a tension that's created there. And mass will not be something that's joyful, but then it's just a burden. Again, it's something that you have to do. Um, I think when a priest is authentically living his priesthood out of love, and when he's like when he's holding the bread, and says, "This is my body," it, it becomes something that's beautiful and joyful, right? Right, um, right. Well, so. you know, when it's not from there, it's as Christ says, it's this heavy burden. You know, it's a heavy burden. It, become, yeah, exactly. it becomes a burden to yeah. them, and your the mass becomes yeah. something perf- to be performed and to be seen. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and everything becomes external as opposed to what we talked about in the, the first reading again of actually going to the heart yeah, and being something that from your heart transforms your whole life and you want to be self-giving. Right, exactly. Um, you, want, you want to be the servant. You want to be 
um, humble for for others. Yep. Um, as opposed to doing everything to be seen and to be honored and such like that. Yep. So be humble and authentic. Authentic. <laughs> yeah. Believe and do the things you believe. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> and and be be humble about it. Don't do it so that other people can see. We could have. Seen. That could, there you go. That could have been the whole podcast. Yeah, that's it. Just <laughs> 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> a homily in 30 seconds kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts? Or? No, that's that covers it. Okay, great. Well, thank you for listening. Again, if you have any questions, please email us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. And like, comment, share, subscribe, leave us a review, do all the things to, to help this podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.